If you have a Bible with you, take it and open it to Luke chapter 8, where we are continuing our series through this gospel that the physician Luke has written. And I'm going to read this morning, starting in verse 4 through 15, and then after I'm done reading, we're going to pray and ask God to help us understand that and to dive into it and to know it well. So follow along in your Bible, or you can follow along on the screen, uh, Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, Jesus, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Let's pray. God, it's easy to read a story like this, a parable like this, and one that's somewhat familiar to many of us, and to, yeah, you know, we've heard this before, we've thought about it, but I pray this morning in a new and fresh way, you would let us see that there are only four soils in this life. There are only four ways that people will respond to the seed, to the word of God, and help us to be honest with ourselves and to see ourselves for who we really are, which soil we are. And I pray and I beg that we would be the good soil, the good one that produces fruit. I pray that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus here tells a parable. This isn't the first parable that Luke has recorded for us in his book, but it is a much longer one and probably a more famous one. This is often referred to as the parable of the sower, or some people say the parable of the soils. I, I kind of prefer that latter one, the parable of the soils. A parable is a story that has a very specific point. 
And the point that Jesus is driving home here in this parable is crystal clear, and we find it in verse 8. It is, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now that may seem like a little odd to you and I, because doesn't everybody have ears? I mean, can't we all hear? Well, of course, in one sense, but not everybody's ears work very well. And I don't mean because of a physical defect or because of some injury. Some people hear, but they don't hear. You know what I mean? When I say it like that, um, my, my kids accuse my wife and me of sometimes not hearing them because we're staring at a screen in our hands or we're staring at the TV on the wall. And the sound waves from their voices are coming across our eardrums, but we're not hearing them. We're, we're, we're not paying attention to what they say. That's, that's what Jesus is describing here. It's not that you can't hear, it's that you're not hearing, you're not understanding. And so Jesus gives this admonition, and he tells them, he says, Listen, crowd, I, I'm, I'm proclaiming to you the good news of the kingdom of God. You must hear this. You must understand this. You, you must come to grips with what I'm talking about because these things are going to impact your heart and your actions. Otherwise, you're hearing me, but you're actually not hearing me. Okay? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's the point that Jesus is trying to make. And then he uses this little parable to help us understand why some people hear, but they don't really hear. Now, before we dive into the specific soils, I want you to notice the flow of the text. If you look down at your Bibles, you will notice verses 4 to 8, he tells the parable. Okay, Then in verse 9 the disciples actually do make an effort to understand the parable. They ask him about it. Verse 10, Jesus explains the purpose of parables, why he uses parables. And then in verses 11 down to 15, he explains the parable that he spoke up in verses 4 to 8. Okay, I want to start with verse 10, the purpose of parables, and then come back and look at the parable itself, okay? So look again at verse 10. He says, to you, he's talking to his disciples, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Parables do two things. Parables both reveal and conceal truth. Uh, They reveal truth to the genuine seeker, that that one who takes the trouble to dig underneath the, the surface and discover the meaning. To those people, parables reveal. But parables also conceal truth from the one who is content to just simply listen to the story. So so to the person who's spiritually discerning, to the one who wants to follow after Jesus, to the one who acknowledges the message of Jesus 
For example, the sinful woman back in chapter 7 or the women in verses 1 to 3 of this chapter, for those individuals who want to know Jesus, parables will unlock the secrets of the kingdom of God. But to those who really have no interest in Jesus, parables further conceal the character of the kingdom of God. Way back in Isaiah's day, Isaiah faced a similar situation. Back in Isaiah chapter 6, when when God asks, whom shall I send and, and who will go for me? Isaiah was quick to raise his hand and he says, here I am, I will go for you. And so God says, okay, you can go, but here's the deal. You're going to preach and preach and preach and nobody's going to listen to you. What a depressing ministry. They're not going to listen to you, Isaiah, not because they're unable, but because they're unwilling. They're going to reject your message because they don't like it. Therefore, it will be as though they cannot hear. And because they refuse to hear, I will punish them for it. That's the verse, actually, that Jesus quotes right here in our passage. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, to make the exact same point. Jesus says, I use parables when I teach because everybody can hear, but only those who truly desire me, only those who pursue me will understand. And for those who reject, eventually they will face punishment for it. If you think about it like this, Jesus teaching in parables is actually an act of grace toward those who refuse him. You want to know why? Because you and I are accountable for every truth that we know about Jesus. We're accountable for that. What are we going to do with it? And so for those who refuse to acknowledge Jesus as Messiah, their punishment will be severe enough, but their punishment would be even worse if they knew everything that Jesus speaks. It's actually an act of his grace. So Jesus tells a parable. And the parable he tells is, quite familiar. In fact, if you lived in those days, you would have completely understood what he was talking about when he talked about a sower. A sower was a guy that had a pouch of seeds strapped to his side and he would reach into the to that pouch and as he walked his fields, he would scatter the seed as he went. The seed is scattered first and then later he comes back and plows that into the ground. When the sower scatters his seed, he does so indiscriminately. In other words, the seed goes wherever. It's not as though he's taking a seed and he's placing it in the ground one by one, like we might do in a garden. He's throwing the seed generously wherever he goes. And so when the disciples ask him, Jesus, what, what, what does this mean? I, I, we don't get this. Jesus tells them that the seed, verse 11, represents the word of God, the logos, the the message, the, the gospel of the kingdom of God, which quite simply is this. 
God's kingdom rules over all and it must rule over your heart if you want eternal life. That's the kingdom of God. It reigns everywhere. It must reign over your, your heart. And in order for it to reign over your heart, that comes by repentance of your sin and belief in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is the seed. That's the gospel that's being spread, thrown indiscriminately, universally to everyone. Everybody is given the opportunity to hear that message. But here's the problem. The seed is landing on four different kinds of soil, four different kinds of hearts. And depending on the type of soil it lands on, uh, a different result happens. So what I want to do now is I want to go back and forth between the parable up in verses 4 to 8 and the explanation of that parable down in verses 12 to 15. And we're going to look at one soil as a, at a time. There's a one-to-one explanation. He speaks a parable and then he explains it. One-to-one, okay? So the first type of soil is what I'm calling the impenetrable soil. It's dense. It's hard, it's unresponsive, and in many ways, it's defenseless. Watch this. Look at your, look at your Bible. Verse 5. A sower went out to sow seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Between the harvest in the next planting season, in Jesus' day, it was not uncommon for people to walk along the edges of fields as they traveled from town to town. And as they walked along the edges of these fields, you can imagine a path begins to form. The ground begins to get uh, packed down. There's a constant foot traffic, and it becomes hard. We can see this a little bit in Florida when the sand gets packed down. But we can see this really well in Indiana where there's topsoil. And if you walk along the same topsoil for any amount of time, it becomes absolutely rock hard. As kids, when we would go back and forth into the woods or around the edges of the garden, that soil would be packed. It become impenetrable. That is what Jesus is describing here. And any seed that happens to fall on that kind of a path is exposed to two dangers. Number one, people are going to step on it. They're going to smash it. The, the seed disintegrates. It's, it's unable to put down its roots and produce anything, uh, any fruit, let alone even a plant or a green leaf. And number two, if a seed is just laying there on that open, hard ground, uh, it is an easy target for the birds. Swoop down, eat the seed, and take off again. Right? So that's the picture that Jesus is painting here of the first kind of soil. Well, what does that mean in relationship to hearing the word of God? Well, look down at verse 12, and Jesus explains. He says, The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Now, at at first glance, when you hear that explanation, everything within you might be screaming, well, that's not fair. 
I mean, if the devil's coming along and taking away the gospel, taking away the truth so that they cannot believe and be saved, then how does God hold that person accountable? It's the devil's fault. He took it away, right? But before you draw that conclusion, look at the text again. The ones along the path are those who have heard. And they've heard, and they've heard, and they've heard. The problem isn't that the devil is coming and taking away the word because that is simply an after effect of something that has happened previously. The problem is, is that they have rejected the word for so long that they become hard and callous toward it. Packed down like that soil. They don't want to hear anymore. They don't want to know it. They don't want anybody telling them that they have to submit to some God. They don't want anybody coming along and demanding obedience from them. The last thing that this kind of a heart wants, this kind of a soil wants, is to surrender self-autonomy, their own desires, their own pleasures, and live for some God that they can't see. Because this kind of a heart wants to do what it wants to do when it wants to do it. And the heart becomes hard. And it's easy for the devil to come along any time that the gospel is preached to that kind of a heart and just carry it away. Because that's what that heart wants. Get it out of here. Don't even want to hear it anymore. It's unresponsive because it has rejected the message so often the message is no longer even heard. But don't give up on a heart like that. I'm reading a book right now. It's written by a lady named Rosaria Butterfield. Some of you may have heard of her. She was a tenured English professor at Syracuse University back in the early 1990s. Uh, She was in a committed lesbian relationship. She was a member of the Unitarian Universalist Church, and she was an activist for a progressive worldview. She had heard the Bible all her life. She had been raised in a Catholic background, but she grew to the point where she hated hearing the Bible. She hated hearing the worldview that it espoused. She so despised Christianity that when a men's movement came into her town called Promise Keepers, some of you have heard of that, right? She wrote an article that was published in the local newspaper railing against this movement. She had a hard, hard heart. She had heard the good news of the gospel many times in her life and utterly hated it. As the story goes, she agreed to meet with a pastor who responded to her article, wrote her back. And she only agreed to meet with that pastor because she wanted to build her talking points for what she called her war against stupid. But by God's grace, that pastor and his wife began talking with her and eventually won her over to the gospel. And today, she is a committed follower of Jesus Christ. I would commend her books to you. 
wonderful follower. That doesn't always happen. In fact, this rare when that happens. Because the harder a person becomes against the gospel, the less likely that he or she will ever respond positively to it. They become defenseless against the enemy's capture of anything related to the person of Jesus Christ. I would suspect that most of you in here in this room this morning would probably claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. But there might be somebody here this morning, I don't know, who has heard the gospel hundreds, if not thousands of times, and maybe you're here this morning just looking for any reason not to believe it. You might be the hard heart. Jesus is calling you, my friend, and he's saying... He who has ears, let him hear. You need Jesus. He loves you. You need his forgiveness. There is a future beyond this life. And one day you will stand before the judge of the universe. And I don't want you to stand there on your own merits. I want you to stand there because you found Jesus. And you stand on his merits and his alone. Repent of your sins while you still have time. God is willing. He will forgive you. He loves you. And that life that he offers you can begin right now in Jesus Christ. Believe that Jesus died for your sins and he rose again. Come. Come to him. The first soil is the impenetrable soil. Secondly, there's the impulsive soil. In verse 6, Jesus in his parable said, Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. In Palestine, where Jesus is speaking, they have a very uh, soil such that there's a lot of rocky layers uh, underneath the soil, and, and the rock layers actually come up so near the surface that in some places the soil above the rocks has hardly any depth. And so if, if a seed falls there, uh, really the only way it can go is up. It has no way to go down, so it only goes up. And, and so Jesus explains in verse 13, he says, the ones on the rock are those who, when they heard the word... They receive it with joy, but these have no root. And that's the key right there. These have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. So what's the problem with this kind of a soil? Well, the problem is this. This kind of a hearer heard the good news and they got it all excited about it. They eagerly said, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I need. And, and, and maybe they, what they heard was, Jesus just wants to make you happy. Well, yeah, I want that. Or maybe what they heard was, Jesus will take away your sickness. Oh, okay, okay, I want that. Or maybe they were instructed, you know what, you can keep all your other stuff. You just need to add Jesus in there. And when you do that, he's going to make you a better version of yourself. And maybe this person said, man, that sounds great. I want that. 
And so they run forward and on the outside, they look great. They made it to the altar. They, they raised their hand. Maybe they, they signed the card and they skip happily out of the church. Finally, they have what's missing in their life. But this person failed to count the cost of discipleship. This person wasn't told that Jesus also said in John fifteen nineteen, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This person didn't want to believe that Matthew 5 verse 11 applied to them when Jesus said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And when that happens, the the person with this heart, this soil says, What is going on? This isn't supposed to be happening. I thought Jesus was supposed to make me happy. I thought Jesus was supposed to take care of me. I thought he was going to take away all my troubles. But in fact, the troubles have only become worse. I don't like this anymore. And they walk away. Jesus says, these have no root. They believe for a while And in time of testing, they fall away. What we're witnessing there is a false convert. There's no true conversion. Their belief was superficial. It was a belief for all the goodies that they were promised, but there's no genuine heart change from loving self to loving Jesus and in a most supreme act of loving self, they abandoned Jesus. I tried it. It didn't really work for me. How do we know that this person never really loved Jesus for Jesus? Because 1 John 2 makes it abundantly clear They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are all are not of us. It's the sad reality of the impulsive soil. I was made aware just last year of a a big church that was touting the number of decisions for Jesus that was made during their services. But tragically, tragically, the number of baptisms that followed the decisions was a fraction of the number. And I wonder how many of those decisions will fall away in time of testing. Friend, if you come to Jesus, not for him, but for his goodies, you're in trouble. Come instead for his grace. Come for his mercy. Come for his forgiveness. And then be prepared to suffer for him. 
Be prepared to be in it for the long haul. Count the cost before you come. Count the cost. Make sure that you have a root in Jesus so that you don't wither away. So there's the impenetrable soil. There's the impulsive soil. And thirdly, there's the preoccupied soil. Look at verse 7. Some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And Jesus gives this explanation, verse 14, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. These hearts are very easily distracted. Notice that even though they hear the good news of the kingdom of God, three different things can catch their attention and their minds turn there. First, they can be choked by the cares of the world. That word cares there is a word that means anxieties, worries, concerns. They're concerned about things. They're, they're worried about things. Maybe they're, they're concerned about their careers, their they're anxious about their children. They're, they're overly uh, concerned about their physical appearance or their reputation. And many of those things aren't wrong in and of themselves. The problem is that they become consuming. It's all that they think about. And so in, in their concern and their anxieties and, and their ambitions, they start to do little things like they, they start skipping their daily devotions with the Lord. They, they, they start skipping church because they've got other things that are higher priority. They, they gotta go do these other things. They, they can't be part of the believers. They start spending more time on their physical health than their spiritual health. And eventually, those things draw them away from the Lord. If that doesn't choke them, Jesus says they're choked by the riches of life. They're pursuing money. They're pursuing wealth. They're pursuing property, fancier boats, higher incomes. Their life is so consumed with making money. It's all they think about. It's all they dream about. How, how can I make the next buck? And they end life with a huge bank account only to stand before their maker and find out they're spiritually bankrupt. Choked by the riches of life. Or thirdly, they're choked by the pleasures of life. And there's some pleasures that are wrong in and of themselves, things like drunkenness, drug addiction, sexual vices, and so on. And there are some pleasures which aren't wrong in and of themselves, but the, if you overindulge in them, they become wrong. Things like games and sports and entertainment and such. And, and, and these things come in and they just have this ever-increasing grip around the heart of the hearer. And they begin to choke out the life of the seed that was sown there. And soon enough, that stranglehold kills them. And they die. And notice how Jesus describes it. He says that their fruit does not mature. If you have a garden, and when I grew up, we, had, we always had a garden... You have to pay attention to that garden. You got to be out there pulling out the weeds because if you don't, 
Those weeds will grow up and they will choke the good plants. And those plants will not be able to produce fruit. Or if they do, it is like measly, puny little things. You have to be out there weeding that, right? That's the point that Jesus is making. Preoccupied soil will become unfruitful soil. So there's three bad ones, but there's one good one. Look at this one. It's the prepared soil in verse 8. Some fell into good soil and grew and yielded how much? hundredfold. Well, what's the characteristics of that kind of a soil? Verse 15 says, this is the good soil. These are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. Notice, this kind of a soil hears the word and they hold on to it. They hold fast. In other words, they believe it and they refuse to let go. Jude 20 says it like this. You, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. They keep themselves there, even as the beginning of Jude talks about God keeping them. They, they hold on. They don't give up. And they put into practice the things that they've heard. Peter says in Second Peter chapter 1, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling in election. For if you practice these things, you will never fall. The good soil says, I want to be honest with God. I'm a sinner. I see it. I agree with you, God, that I deserve punishment. But I, by faith, believe that this Jesus Christ took my punishment for me. I believe that Jesus went to a cross and then to a grave and then to your right hand. Will you forgive me for my sin? It begins with that level of honesty and then the proof of conversion, the proof that that person has a root and that they really love Jesus is that they strive then to please God with all their heart. That's what we call fruit. A good root produces good fruit. And notice something else that Jesus says about this good soil. Right there at the end of the verse 15, he says, they bear fruit with patience. They persevere. Perseverance is the mark of the good soil. It is the mark of the one who is truly converted. That man or woman, boy or girl, will persevere in the faith. They bear fruit over the long haul. 
when the trials of life get tough, when the persecutions come, when the struggles mount, when the disappointments of life seem overwhelming, the heart of the good soil clings to Jesus. It holds tight. It never gives up. It never resigns. It never quits producing a crop of godliness. It is that heart that is the Lord's forever. He who has ears, let him hear, Jesus says. As Jesus' ministry progressed, and as we'll read as we go through the book of Luke, every one of these soils appears. The impenetrable soil appears when you see the Pharisees who have hard hearts and they reject Jesus outright. The impulsive hearts appear and you see these folks, often it's the crowds, and they're coming after Jesus for the goodies. They want the bread. They want the healing. But when the going gets tough, they run. You see a preoccupied heart when the rich young ruler is choked out because he lives a life of materialism. But you also see good soil. You see prepared soil and you see others who follow him all the way to the point of martyrdom. Every one of these soils is there. The question is, which one are you? There are no other options. You are one of these four. Your job now is to examine your heart and be honest with yourself and be honest with Jesus. And if you need to ask him for forgiveness, today is your day. You still have time. And if you're the good soil, keep on, my friend. Keep on. Stand with me. Let's pray. God, thank you for such simple parables, but such profound truth. Thank you that your gospel is spread indiscriminately. It doesn't matter. We, we, every person, every man, every woman, every boy, girl, everybody is given the gospel. We preach indiscriminately. But God, I don't know where that gospel is going to land. I don't know where the seed, the word of the kingdom of God, I don't know where it's landing this morning. There might be hard hearts here. There might be impulsive hearts here. There might be hearts that are feeling that chokehold of life on them right now. And I trust that there's good soil. There, there are good hearts here. And so I pray that your spirit would do his convicting work in each of our lives. Help us to see who are we? Where do we find ourselves? And then come to this Jesus who's holding out mercy, holding out grace, who's holding out forgiveness and says, if you'll come and you believe in me, I will give you rest for your soul. Father, draw people to you in saving faith. I pray in Jesus' name.